I love that. Do you know that we have joined heaven in a chorus this morning? In Isaiah chapter number 6, Isaiah receives from the Lord a vision of the throne room of God. And now I'm not preaching from Isaiah 6. You turn your Bibles to Revelation 2, all right? Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah receives a vision from the throne room of God. And in this vision, he sees angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, flying around the throne of God. And the Bible says they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The same chorus that we've been singing this morning. Let me tell you why they say that God is holy, holy, holy. They don't just say God's holy or God's holy, holy. They say God's holy, holy, holy. See, in the Hebrew language, there's no way of them saying that God is the most holy with one word. We have that ability in the English language. We can say if something's holy, we mean that it's sacred and it's set apart. If we say something is holier, we mean that that which is holier is more than that which is holy. But we can also say holiest, and that would mean that that which is holiest, or the most holy, the most sacred, the most set apart, is more holy than that which is holier. Are you getting me? Now, in the Hebrew language, they can't say that. If they want to say something is most holy, they use the word three times. They would say that it's holy, holy, holy. So what are they saying? They're saying that God is set apart all by himself. He's in a class all by himself. He's high and he is lifted up. He's holy, holy, holy. That's our God. That's who we worship right here today. How many know he hasn't changed? God is love, yes, but God is holy. God is uh, righteous, yes. God is holy. God is gracious, yes, but God is holy. And because he's holy, he's just. Because he's just. Because he loves us. He punished his son for our sins. And that's a different message for a different day but I'm going to preach it before long I promise you that take your Bibles turn to Revelation chapter number 2 Revelation chapter 2 is what I want to share with you this morning and we are still answering the question what has Jesus said and folks I'm going to tell you that that's the uh, the, the, the main thing brother, brother Ben Harris done a great job this morning talking about the main thing and that's to stay about the main thing in the church. Keep the main thing, the main thing, that's what we want to do. And the main thing is what Jesus has said. How many believe there's power in what Jesus says? How many believe that lives are changed because of what Jesus says? How many believe eternities are changed because of what Jesus has said and what he has done for us? The the Bible says it like this. John chapter number 8 and verse number 31. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples. So how do we become followers of Christ? Actually being what God has called us to be, what he saved us to be. By doing what he says. By taking his word and applying it unto our life. Can you say amen? amen? And then he says... If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple. And then he says it like this. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so why are we looking at what Jesus has said? Because I believe people need to be set free today. I believe people need to follow Christ today because following Christ is how life was intended to be lived. You will never, ever, ever know the meaning of life until you know the creator of life. 
And you only know the creator of life by taking a hold of what Jesus has said and what Jesus did for each and every one of us. So we're taking a biblical look at what Jesus has said, keeping the main thing the main thing. And he said something right here in Revelation chapter number 2 that I love. He's, he writes a letter through the Apostle John to the church at Ephesus. It's one of the seven churches of Asia that gets a letter uh, from Jesus through John in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Let's read these first seven verses, then we'll come back and look at it. It says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, said, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast, how thou, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Everybody say first love. He says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, and else, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this not hast... Uh, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has said to the church. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, I'm thankful that you love us. I'm thankful that you've chosen uh, to meet with us this morning, Holy Spirit, by your power and presence. Without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. And Lord, if you don't do the work today, the work won't be done right. So we're asking you to speak to hearts and change lives. Lord, I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth. So I'm asking that you move me out of the way and use me today for your honor and your glory. These people need not hear what I have to say, but what your word says. Lord, I'm praying that through uh, the power of you, Holy Spirit, you would speak to me and speak through me and give your message to your people for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Show us what you have said to the church, in Jesus' name, amen. Now this message, this letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, I believe holds a message for the church at Mount Zion. How about you? See, I believe that God's word is a living word, that God's word is not just words written on a page from 2,000 years ago to ancient believers, but God's word is real and relevant for modern day believers right where we are. It speaks to our hearts. It speaks to our lives individually and also collectively as a church body. So what God has said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, He is saying to the church at Mount Zion. Now, what's He say? Well, the first thing He says is that their works are worthwhile. Let me tell you what I love about this. You see here that Jesus makes every effort he can possibly make to point out the good things that are happening in his church. He takes a look at the church and he says, there's some good things that you are doing. Now, we'll see in a moment, like we've already read, that he also deals with the bad. And that's okay. How many of you know, folks, if he don't deal with the bad, we can't be at our best? <laughs> He got to deal with the bad. He needs to deal with the bad. I want tell you, I want him to deal with the bad in my life and in your life because if the bad don't get dealt with, we can't be what God wants us to be. And so it's good that he deals with the bad, but I am blessed beyond measure that he deals with the good. See, how many of you know, Jesus is not trying to discourage these believers. He's trying to encourage them. 
He's not trying to tear them down. He's looking for every way he can to build them up. Let me tell you something. Be like Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Be like Jesus. Do not be a discourager. Be an encourager. Don't tear down. Build up. Whether it be in this church, among this body of believers, among these brethren, or it be among somewhere else, someone else. Hey, if you've got somebody loving Jesus and following Jesus, hey, press, get, get behind them, help them, encourage them, tell them that God's using them, tell them you're praying for them, tell them you love them. Listen, hold them up, build them up, don't tear them down. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Man, we've got too many discouragers today. Be an encourager. Now, you, you've heard me say it before. I get so sick of negative Nancy. Y'all been around negative Nancy? Oh my gosh. Negative Nancy gets to me. Ain't nothing right. Everything's wrong. You, 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 you walk in, into work in the morning and negative Nancy's sitting there and you say, man, it's a beautiful day outside. Well, it's going to rain. <laughs> I looked at my phone this morning. It said it's going to rain at 3 o'clock. It ain't beautiful. What are you? All right, negative Nancy. It ain't beautiful outside. Whatever. I got, a, I got a man in our work. Well, we got a cost of living raise this year. Praise God for that. Who said amen? You know, don't you, brother? Me and Steve work the same place. Praise God for that. It's 3%. Negative Nancy says, I'll tell you what, they could have gave us more than 3%. I believe we're a little bit we're worth we're a little bit more than 3%. My gosh, people's giving you money. But they're so stinking negative, they don't even see that. Do not be a discourager. Don't live in that life. Don't have the defeatist mentality. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. You have eternal life abiding in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit at work on you and through you to accomplish His good will and purpose. What are you so negative for? Let me tell you something else, though. We've also got some positive Pete's. Anybody have ever met a positive Pete? Ain't nothing wrong. Everything's right. Well, everything ain't right. Everything ain't right in the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to tell you, that everything ain't right here. You may tell you how I know that? Because there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect people on the pew. And as long as we're all imperfect, we're going to have imperfect churches. Listen, that's only effective through the power and grace of God, which is how I like it. That's how I like it. So listen to me, folks. If you're looking for a perfect church, you had not found it. If you're looking for the perfect pastor, keep looking. If you think you are perfect, don't come here because we're going to mess you up. We're just, a, we're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to get, listen, a bunch of crooked people trying to get straightened out by the word of God. A bunch of dead people being made alive by the power of God. We are just sick people made, being made well by the great physician. That's all we are. So Jesus deals with the good, but he also deals with the bad. If there's bad, you need to deal with it. So let's deal with it. But let's start with the good. He starts with the good, so let us start with the good. First of all, he realizes their progress. Praise God for progress. Somebody say amen. Verse number two. I know thy works, 
their works have produced fruit. Let me tell you how I know it. Every historian that I've read, every commentary that I've read, says that Ephesus was probably the largest church in, in Asia Minor at that time. They, they had Paul as their pastor. He started the church through his ministry in Ephesus. Then Timothy came and pastored at Ephesus. And then John, the writer of the Revelation and the Gospel of John, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he came as their pastor. And, and so listen, God has done a great work through these men in that church. They've got a hold of truth that's changed people's lives, and the church is on fire, man. God is blessing. People's getting saved. It's a powerful, great church. That's Ephesus. You see it by what Jesus says about them. Things are happening. They're movers and shakers, man. Things are going on. Listen, God's working in their midst. Praise God for that. There's progress. Jesus said, I know your works and your works have been fruitful. I mean, you know what I've come to figure out as a pastor? Everybody wants to be a part of a powerful church, of a great church. The problem is very few want to do what's necessary to make it a great church. A powerful church. Amen. Well, maybe I phrased that wrong. Very few want to be what's necessary to make it a great church and a powerful church. See, if I say do, that helps you, uh, that kind of is like saying, well, we're doing it for an organization. You know that the church is not an organization You know, the church is an organism. I think we need to focus more on being. And then the doing will take care of itself. You don't come to church. You are the church. You are the church. I am the church. Many members making up one body. So if we just start being by the power of God, what God's called us to be, the doing will take care of itself. Can you say amen? But very few want to do that, want to be that. Why? Because it messes up their life, man. See, to be the church, you've got to get faithful. Amen. You've got to get faithful to the things of God. To be the church, you've got to love people. Sometimes it's hard loving people. Sometimes I like staying mad at people. How about you? I'll be honest, man. Sometimes, man, I heard a story one time about a guy went to the doctor's office and foaming at the mouth and Barking at the nurses, and the doctor came in, done a test, to find out he had rabies. And he looked at the doctor, and he said, Sir, please give me your notepad. And the doctor gave him the notepad, and he said, Give me your pen. He gave him his pen. He starts writing down on the, on the notepad, and the doctor thought he was making out his last will and testament. He said, No, listen to me, man. We have a cure for rabies. There's no sense in making out your last will and testament. He said, Oh, I'm not. I'm just making a list of people I'm going to bite. So, so, <laughs> so sometimes we like to stay mad. And so when, when Jesus says to love people, that messes up our life, right? Husbands, you like to stay mad at your wife sometimes, don't you? Let's be honest. Wives, you like to stay mad at your husband, don't you? Yep. Parents, you like to stay mad at your kids, and kids like to stay mad at parents. But if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to love them. You've got to love them like Christ loved you. You've got to extend grace to them like Christ extended grace to you. You've got to adhere to the standard of the Word of God. And that messes us up because that messes with our fleshly, uh, listen to me now, temporal, secular, sinful lives that sometimes we become addicted to. Are you getting me? Yes. 
there was progress in this church because they had a few who wanted to be what was necessary to make the church great, to make it a powerful church by the power of God. I'm I'm fired up about our church. Folks, I've seen progress. How about you? I look around me this morning, I see progress. Have we got growing room? Yes, we've got growing room numerically, not much. We've got a little bit up here and some back there, and I see spattering of little empty places. I get so sick and tired of empty spaces and pews. So I'm, I'm looking to fill these up. Please help me. But I've seen progress, praise God. I've seen God do a work. Praise Jesus for that. We're getting to baptize new believers today. Isn't that good? <laughs> That's progress. That's adding to the body. I love to see families come to know Jesus, getting right with the Lord. Oh, praise God, that's what it's all about. I see people fired up about serving the Lord, fired up about preaching the gospel. Man, I was in Cuba, I was in Macon, Georgia, on the mission field with some of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are finely tuned preaching machines. Progress. Praise the Lord, that fires me up, man, that cranks my tractor. I'm kind of like the guy that went into the, a doctor's office for a, for a pacemaker. He walks into his doctor and says, Doc, I think I need a pacemaker. The doctor checked him and said, Sure enough, you do need a pacemaker. He said, Let me tell you what, we got three options. First of all, there's one that's made in Sweden. It'll cost you $20,000 if you get that, and that's the best one. Then we've got a mid-range model that comes from China. It'll cost you about $10,000. He said, Then we've got the Sears and Roebuck model that'll cost you 150 bucks." He said, I need a $150 job. So he puts it in. Two weeks later, comes back to the doctor's office, sits down in the office. The doctor says, sir, how's your pacemaker? Well, he said, oh, it's working just fine, doing just what it's supposed to do. He said, the only thing that I found wrong with it, every time I get excited, my garage door goes up and down just like this. I'm going to tell you something. If there was a garage door in this building this morning, it'd be going up and down like this because I'm excited about what God has done, what he is doing, what he's going to do. I see progress. Why do you think we're building a new building? Because we need it. Progress. Good. Jesus said, I see your progress. But then he says something else, watch. I see your passion. Look what he says in the next part of this. I, and I labor. How many know people only labor? To labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. You only work that hard in something if you're passionate about it. Daddies, y'all know what I'm talking about. I am so thankful for my job. I really am. I got a great job. I got a great boss. All of those things are, are a blessing to me because God uses that to provide for me and my family. I'm thankful for it, but I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I get sick of it. How about you? Be honest. We're thankful for it. We get sick of it, don't we? Sometimes I'd rather stay at home on Monday morning and go to work. I'll just be honest. All of us get there, get there from time to time. But, but you know why I keep going to work on those Monday mornings? Because she needs a pair of shoes. Not just those, baby. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> I need some school clothes. and um, She's going to want a manicure in a day or two probably, right? My family needs stuff. They need some eggs in the refrigerator and bread in the cupboard. And because I am passionate about them, I go to work. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to go to work Tuesday. I'm going to work some overtime this week so I can make some extra money. Why? Not because I want to necessarily, but because I am passionate about them. These people 
are so passionate about Jesus. Listen to me now. They are willing to work to the point of exhaustion. How about you? How passionate are you about Christ? How passionate are you about serving him? Is he your first priority? You, you, you know about passion. All of us do. Years ago, I had a guy that I worked with. His, his, uh, he had uh, Alabama season tickets and one of the biggest Alabama fans I've ever seen in my life. I'm telling you, that brother would go three deep on Alabama's roster at all times. I'm talking about even in recruiting season. New recruits had come in. He had their number, knew their number, their weight, their 40 time. He knew all of it. You just had to ask him. He asked me one week at work. He said, I want to ask you to go to a game with me Saturday. My daughter's not going. I got an extra ticket. Come go with us. I said, all right. I said, what time are we leaving? He said, 6 o'clock. I said, what? The game was not until 6 that evening. Playing Georgia. He said, let's, let's go at 6 o'clock. I said, in the morning? He said, yeah. I said, all right, we'll go at 6 o'clock. So I met him at his house, 6 o'clock. We leave out going to Tuscaloosa. We get down to Tuscaloosa and had to park two miles from the stadium. He starts unloading all this stuff. I'm talking about totes and coolers and little wagons we was pulling that had a 32-inch uh, flat-screen TV in it, all kind of junk in this. And I'm pulling the wagon, and I'm toting a 48-quart cooler at the same time. Two miles to the stadium, two miles to the quad where we could set up and tailgate. And we tailgated from 7.30 in the morning, folks, till 6 o'clock that evening, went to the game, and then stayed at the game till everybody had left, came back to where we were tailgating, stayed two more hours, eating the stuff we'd been cooking all day, and then went home at about 12.30 at night. All day long. Let me say what that is. Passion. That brother's willing to work hard for something he loves. And I love it too. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with enjoying life. You know that. But now, this is my problem. Same man. Two weeks later, I asked him to come to church with me. Man, come visit us. God's doing a work at our church. I'd love to have you. He used to be in church, got out of church, ain't in church no more. Had some problems. Come on, man, go with us. Bring your family. Well, I tell you what, Pastor, I, I know what you say. Man, my back's hurt, man. I just don't know if I can sit there. All that time in church. So you mean to tell me you can get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, load up two wagons, a cooler, towed it all two and a half miles to get to the stadium, sit there from 6 o'clock in the morning to 1230 at night, do all that work, walk all that way, be fine with it, stand in that stadium full of cheering fans and scream to the top of your lungs, but when it comes time to come worship the living, sovereign God of the universe, your back's hurting. What about you? What are you passionate about? Ladies, can you shop all day but you can't come sit in church? I don't know what your thing is. I'm not much of a shopper. I'm the guy that sits in the middle of the mall on those wooden benches. <laughs> I'm just saying everybody's got their thing that they're passionate about. Make your thing Jesus. Let me tell you why you need to be passionate about him because he's passionate about you. Enough to die for you. This church was passionate. They were passionate because the Bible says they were willing to work to the point of exhaustion. Then he says something else. I know, first of all, um, your passion. 
I know your progress. He says, but I also know your patience. And the word patience here actually means perseverance. They were persevering through whatever might come. And guess what? That's what a church has to do. You have to persevere. Because there are going to be some things that come, come, come against you as the body of Christ. First of all, you're going to have critics. Say amen or owe me one. There may be some critics sitting on these pews this morning. Listen, if what's happening is pleasing Jesus, get your heart right. Why are you mad? Because, I mean, the church is growing because people's getting saved? Because God's doing the work? Why, why would you be mad about that? That tells me something's wrong with your heart. Let me tell you what I figured out. If I please Jesus, it matters not who I displease. But if I displease Jesus, it matters not who I please. So what we need to do as a church body is make sure we're pleasing Him at all times. We're going to please Him in the lessons we teach. We're going to please Him in the message we preach. We're going to please Him in the songs we sing. We're going to please Him in the programs we have. We're going to please Him in everything we do because He's the one that matters. Amen. And if you don't like it, you probably either need to find you a new pastor or a new church. Because that's how I feel. I'm passionate about that. So sometimes you deal with critics. Let me tell you something else you deal with. Challenges. Challenges. There's a whole lot of different challenges that arise. Jesus told a story about a man who went out and planted his field. And the Bible says when uh, the field had been planted, that it, it, when everybody was asleep, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. And Jesus said the tares and the wheat came up together. The tares do nothing but hinder the growth of the wheat. They're not wheat, they're tares. They're not wheat, they're weeds. And Jesus said there's going to come a time when he's going to uproot all of it, the wheat and the tares. The tares are going to be thrown into everlasting judgment, into everlasting fire, and the wheat's going to be gathered into his barn. Right? So make no mistake, the devil sows tares in every group. And if you are always against what God is doing, God being glorified, people's lives being changed, if you're always uh, negative on everything at every turn, check yourself. Because it ain't all bad. Are you a weed or a tear? Sometimes you have to overcome challenges that come as a result of the work of the enemy. You deal with critics, challenges. Let me give you something else. Customs. Customs. Let me tell you the last words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. I know that we are creatures of habit. If you don't believe me, check yourself when you go to take a shower this evening or in the morning. I've been taking a shower for a long time now. I do it the same way every time. Right? Same way every time. I've been brushing my teeth for a long time. Let me tell you what, I do it the same way every time. Take the toothbrush, put the toothbrush um, after I fix what my family has messed up because they're squeezing the toothpaste in the wrong place. Squeeze it all up from the bottom, get it right. Spray a little bit on my toothbrush, put it under the water and wet it first. If you don't wet it first, get in this altar and get your heart right because that's the way you're supposed to do it. You wet it first. Then you brush them. Then you rinse twice, gargle twice. That's me. That's how I always do it. Why? I'm a creature of habit. I don't want to change that. It's working for me. We are creatures of habit when it comes to brushing our teeth, but we're also creatures of habit when it comes to worship. 
We can get very traditional. We can get very into our customs. Jesus warned against that. Very sternly, as a matter of fact. Go to Mark chapter 7. Let me read something for you there. Mark chapter 7. Verse number 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Now watch what happens. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? They all up there because you ain't followed this tradition, this custom of washing your hands like you're supposed to wash your hands. And it wasn't just washing your hands. They had a certain way they had to wash their hands. And he said, because you ain't doing this, you're not right with God. Let me give you some background, though. Go flip back to Mark chapter 6, verse 56. Jesus has just got done walking on the water. Steps off the boat after walking on the water. Walking on the water. I don't think you got it. Walking on the water. That's pretty big. Just steps off the boat from having walked on the water. And then it says in verse 56, And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they, they, they. Not him, but they. Everybody see it? They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were the border of his garment and as many as touched him, watch this now, were made whole. He's walking through the street full of dead people, or excuse me, sick people. They're reaching up, just grabbing his garment and being healed after he's walked on the water. And then these stuffed shirt, religious, legalistic, Scribes and Pharisees come and get mad because he don't wash his hands the right way? Come on. You're missing it. God has just done a supernatural work that only God can do and you missed it because you're so concerned about your tradition. Give me a break. We battle all this. We do. We battle critics, we battle challenges, we battle customs. But it's important that we persevere. Then what else they said, what the Bible says, watch. They, they also protected the integrity of the church by calling out those that wouldn't reel. They said there were some that were coming who claimed to be apostles, special messengers from Christ who had saw the Lord, and they wouldn't. And they called them out. How you know we need to call right, right, and wrong, wrong? If God's word says it's wrong, it's still wrong. If it says it's right, it's still right. Let's stand on the scripture. Let's stand on the promises. Folks, listen to me. There's a lot of things that are popular today, but it's not right if God's word says it's wrong. Homosexuality is popular today, but it's not right. Let me tell you why. Because God's absolute truth, his standard says it's wrong. Let, let me not only deal with the sin of homosexuality, let me deal with the sin of fornication. It's wrong. It's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God's word says it's wrong. We've got to stand on that. Let me tell you something else. Gossip's wrong. Why? Because God say, God's word says it's wrong. The Bible says that we're not going to let any corrupt communication come out of our mouth. The same Bible that says you shouldn't kill says you shouldn't cuss. It's wrong. Are you getting me? So we got to stand on these things. you got to protect the integrity of the body. That's what this church did. Jesus praised them for it. 
So we stand on what God's word says. And I'm telling you this, any sin that I've mentioned, I've got good news. God still forgives sin. Whoever you are, wherever you are, get it right with him. It's important. These people made progress. These people were passionate. These people, listen to me, they persevered. These people protected the integrity of the church. And Jesus said, all these things you're doing right. But then he says, there's one thing i got against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. What's he mean? It don't mean that they don't love Jesus anymore. They still love Jesus. They're still doing a lot of stuff. But you know what? They don't love him like they used to. They're not as passionate about him as they used to be. They're not faithful to him like they used to be. And he said, because of this, you've left your first love. You remember your first love? I remember mine. She's here this morning. I met mine in 10th grade typing class. I've told y'all before, I don't know nothing about typing. My Sunday school class knows that. <laughs> I don't know nothing about typing. I know everything about her. You want to tell you why? She's my first love. And boy, when I fell for that woman, I fell hard. Still in love with her. Been a long time, 25 years now, I'm still in love with her. Still falling hard. I remember when we first got together and I'd fell hard, like I'm telling you. She would do little things that I still remember today. She'd write a letter and put a little perfume on it, stick it in my locker. I'd open up my locker and there'd be that letter and I knew something was special in that letter because I could smell it when I opened the door. <laughs> First love stuff. Hey, it's stuff like that all the time. Get done with football practice. She'd have something waiting for me in my truck. First love stuff. Man, it was fun. Then I married this woman. Went on a honeymoon. Amen. Still on a honeymoon been 18 years still on a honeymoon it's awesome fantastic a lot of people the honeymoon's over not me not mine we're gonna keep it honeymoon's over let me tell you how i know i heard a story one time about this man him and his wife been married for a few years a newly married couple moved in next door and he looked she looked out every morning from her kitchen window and she saw that when he would uh, leave for work she'd be come out and follow him out on the front steps and he'd turn around and Man, give a big old, put her a big old kiss on her, wrap her, wrap him, wrap her up in his arms, and, um, before he went to work. That was every day, and that wife would stand there day after day watching that. And say, man, I wish my husband would do that. And finally, she came up with a plan. She said, I'm going to tell him. So she asked her husband to come in and watch what was fixing to happen. She said, Come watch this. And he walked over to the window and saw that. And she said, Honey, why don't you do that? He said, Baby, I don't even know her. No. <laughs> listen, listen to me. Don't let the honeymoon go. That honeymoon was over. And the same thing happens with the Lord Jesus. It's not that we don't love Him anymore. We just don't love Him like we used to. And when we don't love Him like we used to, and we leave our first lot, love, there's a lot we lose when we leave. Let me give you three things very quickly, and I'm going to hurry. All of them start with P because I want you to remember them. First of all, you lose your perspective. 
when you leave your first love. Life becomes more about your stuff than your Savior. Amen? It's amazing to me, man. God will bless you with all this stuff, and then you start worshiping the stuff instead of worshiping Him. Life becomes more about your future physically than your destiny in heaven. Jesus said, lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't break through and steal. See, a lot of us have lost our perspective because we're only living for today. Folks, what is going to matter in 100 years is what's really important. In 100 years, it ain't going to matter what kind of house you lived in, what kind of car you drove, what your banking account statement said. None of that is going to matter. What is going to matter in 100 years is what you've done for the kingdom of God. I've said a lot of bets, a lot of bets before people have died, and no one has ever told me they wish they'd have worked just a little bit longer, that they'd have put in just a little bit more overtime. Listen to me. All of that stuff is okay in its place, but don't make it your focus. Your focus should be on heavenly things as a believer. Don't lose your perspective. When we leave our first love, we lose our perspective. We lose our passion. I've already talked about that. Let me give you another one. We lose our purity. Let me tell you why. Satan is a liar. And he deceives us. He wants us to believe that sin's not really all that bad. The same thing he did with Eve, he does with us. He went to Eve and said, you can have this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you're going to be just like a God. She said, no, I won't. God told me I'd die. He said, thou shalt not surely die. It's not that bad. God just wants to keep the good things from you. God's just a cosmic killjoy. Don't want you to have any fun. Take of the fruit. He does the same thing to you and me. Curiosity kills the cat most of the time. He deceives us about the nature of sin. Let me tell you what else he does. He enslaves us when we ourselves choose to sin. Amen. And then he keeps us in bondage with the sin that we chose to commit. Works with pornography. Do you know that 35% of all Google searches today go to pornographic websites? Think about that just a minute. 35%, 68% of men in America have admitted they have a problem with pornography. 68%. Why? Because Satan has deceived us, you men of this country. Why? It's not that bad. Just a picture on the screen. No, it is bad. It is bad. And it will kill your marriage. It will kill your ministry. Satan knows this. He's deceiving you. Don't allow him to do it. Don't allow him to put you in bondage to that stuff. Don't be deceived. I had a man just the other day, about 10 years ago, was a faithful man of God. I'm telling you, full of the Holy Spirit, walked in the power of God. And for the last two and a half years, he's been drunk. He told me the other day that he drinks at least a fifth of liquor a day. He got a hold of something that's now got a hold of him. He said, brothers, do you think that man's ever been saved? Yeah, I really do believe he's been saved, but I believe he's been deceived by the enemy that brought bondage into his life. Now he's enslaved to that bottle. Can God break that? Absolutely. 
Will God break that? If that man is willing to relinquish his will to the will of God, the Holy Spirit, yes, he will. I'm just telling you, don't be deceived by Satan. You lose your purity when you leave your first love. Your purity, your passion, your perspective is very important in your service to the Lord. Everybody stand together this morning. Let me ask you something. Have you left your first love? You say, I love Jesus, Brother Israel, but I don't love him like I used to. Well, we've all been there. The Bible gives us the remedy for this. He goes on and says in this next verse, he says, what you need to do is repent. See, repentance happens at salvation, absolutely. We turn from our sin, we turn toward Jesus. But I'm going to be honest. I've done a whole lot more repenting after I got saved than before I got saved. It's all of us do. We have to from day to day. Get the sin out of our life so that God can use us, so we can be useful to the kingdom. So you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin and turn toward Christ. And then let me tell you what you've got to do. You've got to do your first works. First works. You remember when you first got saved, man? You were so on fire for the Lord. Hey, listen, you couldn't get up, wait to get up and see what God had for you in the Word. Remember those times in your life when you loved spending time in prayer? You couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday, on Wednesday, on Sunday night, whenever the doors were open, because you wanted to see what God has for you? Do you remember when you were so desperate for a move of God in your life that you spent time in prayer asking God to do it? Oh, listen, all of that's available again. But you must repent. Do you first works? That starts this morning. If you've not yet been saved, you've never made that decision to follow Christ, why not today? The baptistry is already full. Whatever you need, this is your invitation.